welcome to Note Doctors. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In this podcast, we will be talking about all things theory with some of the best music theory teachers in the country. If you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to another episode of Note Doctors. Thank you so much for tuning in for this special episode uh, with Mark Brimer. Before, though, we get into our conversation, I do want to mention um, a future episode that we are planning. Uh, We are hoping to do a mailbag episode where we answer your emails, your messages, um, either from Facebook or from our email address, which is notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com. We've gotten a number of emails um, with questions and thoughts and comments, and we would love to just spend one uh, episode just digging into those, answering those questions. So um, for those who have written to us and we haven't written back, we're going to do something about that. Um, (laughs) And if uh, you're listening and you've been wanting a reason to write to us um, at notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com, you can do that now. And so that will be coming out in probably another month or two as we get close to summer. Uh, But we love to hear your questions. We love to hear your ideas and comments about music theory and music theory pedagogy. But today, our special guest is Mark Breimer. If you are in the choral world, you've probably heard that name. Um, he's arranged a zillion choir songs. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting how we uh, kind of got to meet him. And Jen, give us a little backstory on kind of how Mark Breimer has entered into the, uh, the sphere of note doctors. Yes. So Mark is actually a theory major right now at... Dallas Baptist, where I teach. Um, He decided to finish his undergrad degree. He uh, got a lot of gigs early on. You'll hear him tell his story about that. And so that kind of cut his degree seeking time short when he was, you know, at the kind of traditional age, undergrad age. And so when COVID happened um, and his work slowed down a little bit, he thought, why not finish now? So he has come back to um, Dallas Baptist or come to Dallas Baptist for the first time, but come back to school at Dallas Baptist. And he is a music theory major and really fun to have in class for sure. So um, I feel lucky to have him there. It's great. But that's how we know him. He is actually taking classes with me and uh, we all learn as much from him as anyone learns from me for sure. So (laughs) we're so excited to talk to Mark about all the possibilities out there for music business majors and how music theory plays a part in that and their success. All right. So I will uh, tell you about Mark. Mark is a global trailblazer in the children's music education, commercial music, and entertainment industries with such clients as McGraw-Hill, Disney, Warner Brothers, Reading Rainbow Live, Hal Leonard Print, and Music Theater International. So he's done a lot of things, and this is a great discussion. I just thought, well, music theory will be more challenging. It was something that uh, I avoided uh, in college before ear training, or I just saw, what's the point? And, you know, not until I started working professionally that I got the point of why. Um, So I've been able to really embrace music theory now, and it, 
you can do a lot of things with it. I think that's the, the unknown about it is that if you're wanting to go to be a, a professional musician in any way or, or working in the studio, you're going to use this kind of knowledge and you, you need the oral skills, you need the analysis skills, the transcription skills. Um, you, you need all that stuff. And so I, I, I've just been thoroughly enjoying it. Our very special guest is Mark Reimer. We are so happy to have you on uh, as a guest on our podcast. It's kind of neat because you are actually a student of Jen. And so uh, yes. this is super exciting and I'm sure not awkward for Jen at all, right? Oh, no. No, actually, it really isn't. <laughs> but so, Mark, we, loved, we were really excited to talk with you about uh, kind of your career in, in the music business world and how music theory has played a role in uh, your success and kind of where you are now, as I think your kind of your story has taken an interesting turn and in how you, you mm -hmm. met Jen and things like that. And so maybe just before we get into those uh, more specific questions, maybe you could give the listeners just a brief <laughs> run rundown of kind of how you got to this place. You've had a really fascinating and, and exciting and interesting career. And so just kind of let listeners know kind of where you kind of got into music and kind of how you found your way to where you are now in less than five minutes or so. Oh, okay, great. I can do that. Uh, well, I, I guess it all kind of started when I, I, I was actually at North Texas and I had started uh, college at uh, Millican University and transferred to North Texas, I really enjoyed, started to enjoy writing and arranging. And I thought, well, if I can spend multiple hours, this is what I can do. It was not uh, practicing piano. <laughs> and, uh, and I got a, a great education in high school. I, there was an orchestra at our high school. I took music theory. I took uh, jazz theory. I took jazz piano lessons. I took <laughs> classical piano lessons. And so, um, I was, you know, I felt I felt prepared. It was a little bit of a shock when I got to North Texas at the the level that everybody was. But um, I had already been working professionally out of the Six Flags Park, playing piano and accompanying and working in the band there. And so that job transferred to Six Flags over Texas when I got to the De lovely Denton, and uh, I got work immediately almost uh i was i had done some arranging at in college and i put together a demo and played it for the producer uh at the, for the six flags uh, show production shows and he suddenly made me music director uh at six flags over texas <laughs> right when i got to town and so how I was, old were you mark i was 20 or 21. okay and it was a very, it was kind of awkward at North Texas because I was known as the guy with the gig. And because uh, <laughs> I was in charge of hiring the band. And um, so, but, you know, I just, I took this opportunity. And really by the next year, I was the music director and producing recordings for five different parks. And um, that's when I just had to launch out. I, um, out of school and professionally working. And the thing in uh, entertainment or music business, you just have to stay flexible. And this was the first opportunity I took it. And um, 
I had to make some tough decisions about leaving this other college, and but it, it seemed to be the right thing. Is you just have to stay very flexible and, and ready to dive into whatever. And about a year or so later, I uh, got an, some friends of mine from the former college had started a show choir camp, the Show Choir Camps of America, and. Uh, I, I met a gentleman who was a, working for Jensen Publishing, and he was looking for a certain type of choral piece, and I wrote it and put, put together a new demo for him, and it ended up starting getting uh, choral arranging work with, uh, with Jensen, and they had all of Warner Brothers at the time. They've now been absorbed by Hal Leonard, but they were striking off on their own at the time, and so that, that created an opportunity for me to start writing. They were also attracted to me because I had recording ability, and I could do demos that were becoming more and more important in sales of choral material. Um, and so that that launched me that was that kept me pretty busy and that that grew and probably within about uh two years after that i was signed full-time as a staff writer with hal leonard uh publishing and they're the world's largest and i've been with them ever since so um i have at this point about 3300 coral products with them for sale and it's uh my coral arrangements are really performed around the world and uh, but primarily in the states primarily by high schools middle schools elementary and some college level um, i continued to work and write shows for six flags and at a certain point uh, i think uh, maybe 10 or 15 years later i actually started producing shows for them and uh, i did that for about 10 or 15 years uh, I went moved to Los Angeles because I really started. Uh, I started. Hal Leonard brought me out to LA to start recording my material to work with the musicians and singers out there, and just fell in love with that. That uh, my wife and I moved out to LA for about five years, and um, this would have been the early '90s. And but we experienced the Rodney King riot and then the major earthquake, and decided well you know, maybe this isn't the right place for us to buy a home. <laughs> and, um, but I learned a lot in LA. I actually took a lot of courses at UCLA extension, professional courses. It's people that were like working at record labels and marketing song, professional songwriters that had songs on the charts. And then they would teach these courses at night. And then I, so I've always gone after education. So I, I signed up and took, you know, specific songwriting lessons from a guy that had a whole system. It took me uh, just, uh, just taking one aspect, let's say just using a song with major chord, major triads. And we would analyze song in the pop market like that, then I would have to write one. And then we would add sevenths. And he, you know, you could find pop songs like that, then, um, then songs that use it used melodic extension so if the melody began on the ninth or the seventh the eleventh you know and how what that did to the texture even with triadic chords so uh i got a lot of great education and worked with a lot of great musicians but then i moved back to dallas and just ran my business from there and Dal being located here i'm three hours from anywhere 
I can get to New York in three hours. I can get to LA in two or three hours. I still do my recording in LA. I send my audio engineer out to LA and uh, I do, I simul in with like this. And we, we use a program that I can get, there's a digital broadcast that comes from the studio in LA. So I can actually sit at my Dallas desk and produce an LA session. I just did this in the last two days. Um, and I've also done some large shows for uh, Dolly Parton's Stampede and their Pirate's Voyage, where I produced, you know, about a 90 minute soundtrack for each of those and Christmas you know, I, I actually arranged a Christmas pirate show and um, I know it's, it sounds amazing, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, I think was, of pirates when I think of Christmas pirates I know. off the list. Well, hand in hand. Something. Right. Yeah. And Mary and Joseph waiting in the water to the, yeah, <laughs> my, the pirate ship. But, but I digress. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so I and then I've also done some work with McGraw-Hill textbooks and, and their music appreciation textbook. I've, I've gotten work with a little company called Frog Street Press that I had to write 50 songs that uh, were for pre-K, teaching pre-K math. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of wherever the work is, you just, you, you adapt. And so I'm, people will ask me, what music do I listen to? Well, I listen to whatever I have to write next, you know, and I, I kind of, you know, just abs you know, absorb as much as I can of that style and learning from it. And so now that it gets back to me in music theory now, it's like, oh, well, that's what that's called. Or, oh, I, I well, that's a Neapolitan. Oh, my, I, oh, I, <laughs> I just thought that was a flat too. You know, I, you know, it's like, so, but what I'm loving about music theory, it gets it, it aligns more with classical music. And if I'm wanting to do more film scoring, it I would say film scoring um, rangers and writers are more theory oriented. And so I can hear that, you know, certainly like a, like a John Williams, you can he, you hear his knowledge of theory and, and orchestration and. So I, I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, being back in uh, undergrad music theory uh, just because it's like, oh, I, I can instantly use things I'm learning. And that's that's been a, a really nice surprise. Is that enough? What made you? Okay. Yeah, that's great. What made <laughs> okay, you great. decide to major in theory? I mean, I know, like, I know that story. Well, but what, <laughs> why don't you tell yeah. us what made you decide well, to? I, I guess, you know, with COVID, I thought, oh, well, maybe I should go back and <laughs> finish up my degree. You know, I was I have a lot of college credit and and DBU seemed really open to, uh, you know, honoring a lot of my credits. And so it's like, well, what are what's my major going to be? Because I could have gone back to applied piano. I didn't <laughs> was going to be education, music theory, music business, certainly, you know, um, music business being taught in colleges is I would say fairly like a newer thing maybe the last 20 years. And, but when mm -hmm. I was in college before it wasn't available. Um, right. and I thought, well, I kind of know that, you know, I could, I could probably skate through it a lot easier, but then, uh, you know, I'm not learning anything. Um, well, and, and you know, so, at least that was my perception. I don't, I'm sure I would have learned marvelous things from these instructors, but I just thought, well, music theory will be more challenging. It was something that, 
I avoided uh, in college before ear training or I just so oh, what's the point? And, you know, not until I started working professionally that I got the point of why. Um, <laughs> so I've been able to really embrace music theory now and it you can do a lot of things with it. I think that's the, the unknown about it is that if you're wanting to go to be a, a professional musician in any way or, or working in the studio, you're going to use this kind of knowledge and you, you need the oral skills, you need the analysis skills, the transcription skills. Um, you, you need all that stuff. And so I, I've just been thoroughly enjoying it. I love it. I love it. One way in which we overlap, Mark, I don't know if you know this about me, but I played for Hershey. So in Pennsylvania, I was oh, okay. one of their trumpet players. And I have to say, within the first week of the job, what we had to do is learn over 50 tunes by heart and be able to walk around and play all the tunes in the park or, yeah. or at, at a stage or something. But a lot of the times we were strolling. And the people that had the best theory chops were always more successful because they could internalize mm -hmm. large chunks of music, forms of tunes, um, things like that. They could improvise. All these things were required of me. I was a music ed major. I was not a trumpet major, and I was not a theory major. But I think overall the skills that served me the most were actually just those core musicianship skills that I got from from theory right. and oral. Right. Um, that was kind of the yeah. number one useful skill set that I had at the time. I didn't realize that until I got the job, but then on the job, just reading these tunes down and then having to memorize everything. I mean, wow, I'm sure you can kind of relate to that kind of thing, just using oh, those Oh, very skills. much. Right. And, uh, you know, sight reading. I mean, one of my first jobs was like, uh, I was the audition pianist. So, I mean, people walk in with anything and are you know it's like oh this seems so high can you take it down a step it's like okay <laughs> you know, here we go my eyes get big okay here we go but it's like that's that's what the job was and you yeah. you were there to um you know to make that happen and you just had to you know do it and and learn it and you didn't want to embarrass yourself so you know you better get it right yeah, you hope yeah. they give you a piece of music in sharps because then it's a lot easier to drop down a half step <laughs> when it's already <laughs> Yeah, but C sharp major, it's like, I, I don't know if I would look at that joyfully. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's when you ask them if they're okay to go down the semitone. Yeah, that's right. Or <laughs> are, are you 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 just drop it down and don't tell them. You say, oh yeah. Is, you know, that, that. And they're like, that was the best time I've ever sung that song. Thank I know. So yeah. Right. With me. Sure, that's C sharp major. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm oh, telling them my you... secrets. Oh, no. I don't know if this ever happened to you in the park. They were getting a little bit off script here but people would ask us to play all sorts of tunes that we wouldn't know fight songs from obscure colleges regionally you know and mm -hmm. uh, tunes that they i guess sung uh growing up with their parents or things and you know i'm trying to think and we would all kind of huddle up and say does anyone actually know this tune does anyone actually know this fight song and sometimes one person would know it and then everyone else just kind of filling in along the melody of that fight song you know yeah uh, it was just so interesting it's just like you learn so much, like you said, on the job, just having to on do the, that right. in the moment, you know? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, it was, a, it, and there, there are fewer live musician jobs now, and that, but that was a great training ground for a lot of people in the theme parks. Mm-hmm. 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 So you've talked about a, talked about a number of things, transcription, you know, being able to sight read things like that. So what do you think are some of the kind of the most relevant like, theory or oral skills topics um, to students who are wanting to go into kind of a, a music business career? May it be you know live performance or arranging or kind of music or um, like a recording? Well, th- there are a lot of different skills. I did some thinking uh, uh, in this direction. And first of all, I would say oral skills, uh, mainly in working with singers or players, is sight reading ability. Because, uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like working in in Los Angeles. I mean, but I have have good singers here in Dallas uh, that can read. But I, I have to budget ahead of time. A client wants to say, Okay, we want this much music. How much will it cost us? Well, I haven't recorded it yet. So I, I say, well, I can record, you know, this many minutes of music an hour. But it, it's reliant on hiring a set of players or singers that can sight read it and get a performance happening, uh, you know, in a certain amount of time. And there's nothing worse than having one player or one singer that's slow because then it messes up the entire session because what happens is everybody else got it on the first take or let's say the second take and that person was slow so then we need to do it again well so by the third time the the one stray person is getting it well, everybody else is kind of tuned out because they've already played it once. And so they usually make a clam on the third pass. Okay, well, then we have to do a four, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God, you know, time is ticking and uh, I'm not going to get this done in time. So sight reading is, is crucial. And and that's one of the, the questions I you always ask is like, can they read? Can they, you know, and because there are a whole set of musicians and singers that are what we call ear people that they just – but even ear people, um, you can sing a part to them and boom, they can, they've got it. And then they can nail it. You know, that they have to have that type of oral skills. Um, you know, they, so, and then maybe they have just this killer sound and you want that sound, but they have a great ear. Um, and then notation skills. I've got to think in terms of, how do I notate my arrangements that are the easiest to read? Because again, it's a, it's a time thing. If it's confusing, uh, you know, it it will slow it down or they won't, you know, they, they will make mistakes and then they've got to correct it. And, And then again, time is, is, is marching by or not even so much time is that you don't get a good musical performance out of them because they're having to concentrate too much. You want you're trying to create music and magic on on the on in the recording, and not just oh they played it correctly. Uh, and and then the other thing, uh, you know, we there's an aspect with music theory that we have error detection, error detection, like where's the mistake, mm-hmm. and it's touched on. It's usually a uh, an assessment tool, but. I do that all the time. It's like, okay, wait, there's a mistake right there. Wait, you know, somebody, that's a wrong, there's a wrong chord and, you know, and then we've got to find it and our like tuning, uh, dictation, like, oh, you know, the, that alto is flat on that note 
or this, the tenors, you know, the, the whole group is, you know, all that kind of, you've got to find it. And it, it might just occur on one chord or one thing. And, um, you know, I'll be mixing and I'll yell at me, there, stop, you know, like, <laughs> there I was, you know, and then we start dissecting. It's like, oh, well, sure enough that, you know, that third trumpet was a half step off, you know, or something like that. And uh, so that's another related skill that you, you have to uh, be able to duplicate. So it's, 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 uh, it's very important. And it's just to stress to students that you, you cannot blow these things off because it will, you've got to be excellent in these areas because it, it doesn't quit when you get out of college. <laughs> you know, it only it gets harder. You have to look at the whole yeah, score yeah, right. instead of just two parts. Right. Or you know, if you think a two-part rhythm reading is difficult, you know, try listening yeah. to four different trombone lines in the, you know, lab band or the the four different yeah. trumpet lines. You know, and trying to sort through right. that. Yeah, exactly. And I think the competitive nature of it as well is that you know, in school, depending on the the music school you're at, you know, there might be this, you know push to be at the top and things like that. And that can be good and that can be bad. You know, there can be negatives about a very hyper competitive place, but there can also be problems where everyone's kind of like, you know, just kind of learning and, you know, growing and things like that. But when you get out into the field, especially if you're wanting to get into like a professional uh, a job, you've got to be the best because someone else is going to take that job, right? If, if you don't cut it, I'm sure, you know, the people that, that have, you know, maybe have not worked out the first time or the, or the second time with you in a studio, you probably don't call them back. <laughs> no, um, I don't. Right. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not naming names here. <laughs> no, no, I won't name your name, but, but it was, uh, I, I was on a rhythm date and I, we were trying out a new pianist and he was, he was not making it. And so I said, Oh, let's take a break. And so uh, during the break, I, I found him and I just asked him that I, I said, this isn't going to work out. And he I asked him to leave. I mean, nicely. But and so we got back to the break and the other three guys were like, well, where's, you know, where's John or whatever? You know, it's like, well, he, uh, he's, he's no longer on the session. You know, I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll play, you know, fill in. And they were, it kind of shocked him a little bit. It's just like, oh, wow. I was like, I better not make a mistake after that. You know, yeah, because. Because it's, I, I, I mean, if I'm arranging and I'm producing, I want the best musicians possible because that's a reflection on me. I learned a long time ago, I'm not going to hire just my friends or, you know, oh, that's, you know, a buddy of mine or whatever. I, I, I want the best people because I, that's a reflection on, on my music. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and really in the studio to get work, it's all a business of recommendations. I, you know, yeah, I can hear somebody's demo, but it's more like, oh, oh yeah, I've worked with him or her before. And yeah, she's really solid. You know, that's, that's, that's what you, how you make decisions on who to hire. Yeah. Strictly. Yeah, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> no, never, never, never. Well, I tell I tell my composition students the same thing about getting the best players that you can find. Like, do not ask your roommate who just no. has a spare oboe in their closet to play, you know, <laughs> this oboe no. solo. You know, find the very best players at the school and write for them because they will mm -hmm. do the best job. They will represent your music uh, to, to the best, better than anyone else. And so that is that's such good advice for students who often are like, well, I'm just going to write for someone I know and it's more and more comfortable. 
but it may not really give you the results that you really want. Right, right. Well, because the thing too to realize is that once somebody gets out of college, let's say they want to start on a career, they're not just competing with the other kids at their level at the school. Really, like somebody getting out of college now, they want to get into choral writing. Well, they're they're competing against me for a job. <laughs> you know, or it's like everybody that's, you know, been doing it for years. And so you've got to suddenly compete, you know, at a different level. And and these days it doesn't work just to be, oh, I'm cheaper, you, you know, because we might all be cheaper if we want that gig, you know? How does inflation uh, not work for composing and arranging? I, mean, what's, what's I, I don't there? know. I don't know. It's like, uh, it's, it's uh, yeah. So you've, you've got to have it together, you know, and, and, and there are people getting out of college now that are quite awesome, you know, and, and I see it in LA all the time. And it's just like, wow, you know, that they, they're great readers and, um, you know, uh, they're, they're just, um, they're great. So it, it's possible. You just can't get hung up on, uh, oh, well, I, you know, I'm the best reader at my school, you, you know, well, you know, that, 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 no, that won't work on a resume or in trying to get a, a professional job. Now you mentioned the, the folks who, um, can just listen to it once and be able to sing it or play it. And um, those people can be successful in music. And we know all sorts of musicians out there who may not be great readers or even know their theory, um, but can make it in the in a, the, a music career. But what would you say to a student who comes to you and says, well, do I really need to get, do I need to take these classes? Can't I just kind of do what you did or even just not even take the class that you did? If I'm just going to go for it, why do I need, you know, a music theory education? Like, you know, what, what recommendations or what advice would you give to them? Well, um, you, you've got, you, you've got to learn. I mean, you, you know, you, it, it, there's just not an environment anymore of, uh, if you think, you know, like bands, they used to like, they would block book a band and give them six weeks, eight weeks in, you know, a high level studio. And they just kind of come in and play around and discover and get a sound. And, you know, those days don't exist anymore. And you, you need to show up and, and deliver at least professionally. And so just thinking, now, you know, there are some exceptions. I mean, there can be just an incredible singer that he or she has just this, I mean, un, so unique of a sound and that, boy, they, you know, then producers will come in and, and work around, will make that work for them. But that's such a rare talent or uh, maybe it's a guitar player, but it, that's you know, the 99.5 rest of us, it, it, it's not going to work like that. And, you know, and I, I know that I was guilty of that, um, uh, of, I, you know, I had a great high school education and I, I was very accomplished in, in the small little college I went to. And, but, uh, you know, I, I, suddenly I would get around the next level of people and it's like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I've got to work. <laughs> and, and, and what better 
I mean, the thing in college is you're learning tools. You know, one of the best tools I learned, um, I was, when I got to North Texas, I was like a, a jazz study, uh, arranging studies or I don't know what they call it, but second semester, our, our first assignment was, okay, on score paper, select a recording of a song you like that has like some orchestration to it and transcribe every part onto score paper. And, you know, we all looked and thought, well, that sounds impossible. You know, how do you hear all that? Well, we did that. And well, that was the best thing. And so when I got out of college, I wasn't working constantly. So I thought, well, I'll just start transcribing things I heard on the TV or a recording. I wanted to learn how to write this kind of trio writing, you know, so I just started transcribing and, and, and learning that way. And then, you know, years later, I got to Los Angeles and there there were like these guys in town that were just transcribers and and like to the stars, you know, they were they worked all the time. But like I hired this one guy because um, uh, he was he would transcribe for uh, Bruce Springsteen and he just loved a name drop. But <laughs> the thing is, he he Bruce would not let you leave with a cassette at the time. Okay. So, um, you had to go to his home and they would, you know, you had to sit there and do it. And then they would have these hot rotted equalizers. So they could just bring up a certain, if they're trying to get a bass part or what, Um, you know, this, get those frequencies where that part is so you could hear it and transcribe it. And they were like, so accurate. And you know, that's what, that's what they did full time. And so it's like, Oh, Gosh, I guess it's important to get your ear training really going. And and it was just very normal. That was just, you know, they were just, and they would do it, they'd be a copy of sometimes and orchestrate or, you know, but it's like, that was a job that people needed. And, you know, like there were things like there was, uh, there was a variable speed cassette deck you could get, you know, and, uh, and, you know, even half speed, I think you could do a half speed cassette. That was another thing you could drop it. And, and so there were little tricks they had. And it was, I mean, the technology is so much more advanced now that, but even at that time, I mean, they, they were, there were techniques that they could hear it. Yeah. But of course, if you like, doesn't it alter the pitch if you like slow it down too much or slow it down in the wrong way or whatever? It doesn't now, like our technology yeah. now doesn't do that, but right right but that's why you had the variable speed because sometimes things you know might have been mastered a little bit faster or you know or like every uh you know how the the cassette was printed you know like uh printed it might have just printed a little fast and so you could tune it exactly to your keyboard or whatever your Mm -hmm. method of of transcribing was so you could match it exactly but you you really get to your ear gets very discerning of listening to a specific part and and that's part of my my thing in the studio while i'm mixing is my i really open up my ears so i can i can hear everything or is what is there a you know is there somebody's not together or some you know whatever i'm, I'm trying to find uh potential uh mistakes or balance problems you know uh issues or things not being heard that i wrote so uh, you definitely use it that's something I think we could do more of in oral skills is error detection like that. Um, I think this has come up before, but 
the oral skills books that we use at, at my school are fantastic and I love them, but um, the error detection is designed to help the students find their own transcription errors. So essentially they hear the right thing and they're looking at the wrong thing and they need to find the spots that are wrong and fix them. But what you're describing is the other way around, right? You're hearing right. the wrong thing. You're looking at the right thing and you've got to find those spots that are wrong and fix them. And that's certainly yeah. what our recording majors, music education majors, they need more of that kind of kind of thing. It's just hard yeah. to find like you certainly it's hard to do that as one human at a piano. But that's a that's a thing that we need to develop more resources for, I think, is that kind of um, error detection. Yeah. You know, and like tuning detection, I'll tell you what, and I think it's underused is auto tune is our, our Melodyne. It, it, so these are tuning uh, apps or tuning uh, programs that, but what it will show you is like, I, I, I'll say, oh, I think it's the soprano on that note right there. And then you can actually see the the wave and you can see where it dipped and you can narrow it. And, you know, and so it's it's like verification of like, oh, yeah, that was where the mistake was. Well, oh, no, actually, it was the note leading into it. You know, so you 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 can learn by actually using Auto-Tune mm. or Melodyne. And and now Melodyne can uh, it can uh tune like multiple you can put multiple notes and chords in so again it's a good ear training and it, i think it could be used more in the classroom they just don't market it that way but when you can what's out of tune and then you can actually see it on the screen oh that one note that's dipping there um then then it's like it verifies to your ears like okay that was a mistake or mm -hmm. so it, it's it works as training yeah, I had an interesting experience this past week, actually. I've uh, uh, been trying to do more instruments in our melodic dictation exercises in class. So it's really easy, you know, to just sit at the piano and do every everyone on there. So I've been having students come in who play things. And I had two flutists who brought their flutes on the same day. So I was like, all right, well, how about you two play this melodic dictation together and, mm -hmm. we'll, you know, dictate this melody. and. Tuning was one of the big issues and one of the challenges for the students because, you know, trying to, you know, the flute, both flutes were good, but they still didn't play everything always in tune. And of course, they yeah. play that melody five or six times. And so each time there's little shades of, you know, flat or sharp, the articulations are different. And so what you're talking about is also like being able to hear tuning and timbre distinctions. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, that that timbral aspect or hearing a certain timbre within a musical texture is something that we hardly ever talk about in an oral right. or a theory setting, but is totally applicable to what you're doing. Yeah. And, and particularly uh, professional, you know, professionally, because, I mean, people, uh, you want perfection. You know, I mean, that's that's the whole thing with the recordings and commercial recordings now. It's just, you know, they're they're so clamped down with the auto tune and you know or they'll put the vocal in and they'll actually cut each eighth note to a line they'll put a grid in pro tools and and just align the vocal it's just it's just what amazing you, what and, do you and think we think about that mark do you do you like that i mean you listen to an old beatles album or some of these old motown motown tracks and you're just like boy that alto is just flat or that you know mm -hmm. <laughs> that guy's out of time but there's this liveness right to that recording right. do you think that's kind of lost today 
Oh, very much so. You know, and, and, and you know, the wild thing um, or the, the crazy thing is like you'll hear in like particularly young kids, if they've listened, they affect their voice to sound as if it, it's been on auto-tuned. You know, it's like you know, they'll make a, 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 you know, a sound like that. And um, so uh, it, it, it's, it's an edited thing. But, I, you know, every so often it, 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 it turns back around. I mean, certainly, you know, Adele is not perfect and her, her you know, her timing is not perfect. And yet look how successful that record was. Or yeah. Erica mm-hmm. Badu, you know, it's like. The, the people, you know, they they are attracted to that and it just kind of comes in and out of vogue or, um, you know, certainly we went through that in the 80s with the when MIDI just started hitting and everything you know was electronic. There were no live instruments and, you know, you listen to the tracks and it's just like, Ugh, you know, um, we're now things like debris and acoustic and um so it just kind of comes in and out of fashion. So, I, I, but it's it's it, it's it's gotten really odd right now because it's all about sound design and um, you know constructing. You know, like you can be a very successful songwriter by just coming up with grooves. You don't write a melody. Mm-hmm. You don't write the lyric. You just but you can be you can be a staff professional songwriter because you just sequence grooves. And, and people will hear that. And then the other click of the writers, let's say, because you see like on pop songs, you see, you know, six names. Well, why? Well, because one guy just came up with the groove. And then uh, one gal, maybe, you know, they just sit around and what about this melody on it? And then somebody else maybe wrote the lyric. And then somebody had a better idea on the bridge for a different melody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but... Um, it people respond to great musicianship still and and you, you know there are definitely artists that are are there and doing that and and quite popular and so people respond to it yeah. one thing i was going to ask you and this is a confessions uh questions of a kind of curious music theory teacher here which is one thing i've been thinking about as far as curricular development and at least a unit module, let's say. Um, to me, it seems like what you're saying is within one unit, we could hone certain skills and develop certain skills. Now, whether that's ear training or whether that's more a notational skill, creative compositional skill, um, or whatnot, can be d- different depending on the class. But then when you get to the assessment, it seems like to me, and this is one thing I've been trying to move towards in my teaching, some sort of project-based assessment seems to like bring those skills together in a really healthy and productive way that seems to be more applicable to someone in the music business especially um so from your perspective what do you think about that kind of movement in terms of a unit that hones these skills and then a end of unit assessment that's a project-based outcome that we can kind of ask our students to produce um, or give back to us? Well, I like that because um, really I always find uh, the musicians or the singers will find your mistakes. Okay, if you've notated it, let's say you, you could have put it in cut time or you could have, you know, maybe, you know, depending on what meter, you know, you wanted to, but 
you chose the more complicated way and suddenly they're making more mistakes, it's a problem. Um, right. It's, it's um, you put too many articulations. They couldn't, they couldn't keep it straight. You know, you didn't have any. It's like, why aren't they playing with any emotion? You know, so the, the assessment happens in when you start recording it or having them play how they, how they perform. Because you're, it's, I hear a lot of, um, one of my best training grounds is YouTube of my choral arrangements being sung by a group that I had nothing to do with. Because what I hear is they're singing back what I, what I wrote on the page, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, (laughs) are, and, and I, I feel like if if the choir's out of tune as an arranger, that's my fault. It's not the teacher's fault. It's not the students. It's my fault because I made it either too difficult or the key was wrong, you know, where it sits in their voices. So I need to make a correction in my writing the next time. Um, that's, uh, and so you, you learn a lot when you have nothing to do with your arranging and somebody reads it, you know, or, or performs it. It's like, oh, you know, hopefully it, 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 I've been doing it enough that I, that happens less often, but it, you know, it's, it's still, it, it's a good evaluation or um, just what, what, what makes, th- you know, people or musicians suddenly play out more or, you know, or pop or, you know, what is it about, um, you know, we were listening to Haydn today. Uh, is it the Lord Nelson Mass or, um, and it was in my choral uh, lit class. And what Haydn had done, he had written the vocal ranges like he didn't have to write any uh, accents or, you know, because he had vocally written all these high notes just to pop in and out where he wanted them to be heard. You know, so his melodic choices really handled that, you know, and it was also enabling it uh, because there was some discussion. Well, isn't that a little too high for singers at times? I thought, well, no, there were no microphones. He was trying to get the singers to be heard over the orchestra. You know, and so he wrote that technique. Uh, it was in his vocal writing. So, the, you know, they're the musicians. They will they find your mistakes for you, or they they show you where you need to improve. I love that. I love that. One of the things that we could talk about is is the other music, other non musical skills, right? You talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, working with performers and things like that in communication. Um, you know, soft skills are a big buzzword today. And But what other kind of skills do music business majors need? And do we need to be teaching more of those types of skills like entrepreneurship, um, collaboration, even like, you know, marketing ourselves? Like, is there a way that we need to be weaving that into our core music curriculum as well for just not just music business minded folks, but just, you know, all music majors. Well, um, yes. Uh, and I'll, I'll touch on a couple different points. Uh, one, like, you know, it's like, well, if somebody comes up to me and says, well, how do you, you know, if I want to, I want to be a choral writer, I want to do just what you've done. How would you do that? Well, the thing is, I, I don't know that publishing companies are hiring uh, like a staff writer like myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And so really how somebody would get into it is that they would have their own website, you know, and usually some, you know, let's say they have 
um, either a teaching gig where they have access to a choir or, or it could be church, you know, that they can work with singers. They could get simple recordings of things they've arranged. And then they can, you know, you can typeset it yourself in, in uh, finale or, uh, you know, so they can sell downloads. Are there even, I think with J.W. Pepper, the music dealer, you can, they can market it through there mm-hmm. and, they, you know, they'll advertise it and, and sell it that way. So that's, that's like the new model. But how do you get, build a site? How do you make something downloadable? How do you make, you know, good demos that you can listen to? Uh, you know, that, uh, those kinds of skills. Um, and I would say the other thing is networking skills because it is like, I've always practiced of, I would, I would always help anybody I could. And particularly in college, cause you never know. And that's a hard t- thing for some kids to realize. And, um, but you know, I've had example after example of somebody, well, like for instance, okay, I was, when I was at North Texas, uh, uh, Paris Rutherford came to me and said, oh, I had this uh, like a master's guy and he, uh, he's, he needs some work. And so I, I hired him to help me fill in one of my first uh, musicals, I, you know, a review I wrote for Hal Leonard, cause it was, and that was, you know, it was pencil <laughs> and <laughs> you, you know, it was 30 minutes long. So he would, you know, help me build that. And he helped me conduct some vocals and, you know, so I, I, I was able to, you know, have him work. He was, you know, nice guy. And then he, he graduated on and, um, well, he, I think he went on and worked, uh, me with Yamaha and uh, but then suddenly you know 25 years later he's now the president of Hal Leonard Print Publishing Larry Morton and who I hired you know um, (laughs) way back when well you know when I came to my contract negotiation he was like he told this whole story to everybody there and um, You know, so it it comes back and you want to be known. I see that in Los Angeles all the time. Everybody you is great to get along with, because the thing is, you don't want to ever be a problem in a session and bring it down. You know, you want to you want to be a good hang. You want to, you know, be pleasant to work with. And um, and also when I'm trying to get work with musicians, I am you know, maybe they're, they're, they're a jerk at times, but I don't, you know, I, I am super nice because ultimately I want to get the best performance out of them because I just have to get it on once on the tape, you know, <laughs> and then, then they low, but I will be the friendly, you know, whatever I need to do to make them feel comfortable, or, you know, you know, whatever, but because I'm just trying to get this killer performance out of them. Mm-hmm. And so those are important skills. And I, I don't see that necessarily in college today of people really, hey, will you play on this? Or, you, you know, oh, you know, I got, I'm busy. You know, it's like that. But that's a very important skill that will affect them in, in the future because it, it's amazing how many people you'll meet again. Um, and, and if you were a jerk to them or not helpful, it's like, well, I don't know. You know, they don't. 
So, yeah, I would say those it, it's really for kids now. It's it's being your own entrepreneur. You've got to learn how to market yourself and get yourself out there and uh, get attention on yourselves um, on your own. Nobody's going to there's not going to be a company or somebody else doing it for you. And it seemed like that's something that you developed in college or even like before. That's like something that you were able to work on. And 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 obviously it really paid off. I mean, I'm just thinking about our little group here, like Jen and I went to undergrad together right. back mm-hmm. way back then. We would no idea. We had no idea that we'd be like yeah. making a podcast together like 20 years <laughs> no. later. Um, and we weren't even really friends back then. But no, like acquaintances, basically. <laughs> We're yeah. acquaintances at this, mm-hmm. but you know, like oh, Jen's nice. I think she plays the French horn, right? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was basically it, right? Uh, but you never know what's going to happen and who you might run into and, um, how, how what's what's going to happen yeah and you know and sometimes it could be not the, the somebody who wasn't that accomplished in college can like turn around and you know and come to become this incredible songwriter you know so it's like you you, you know it's you can't um you just don't know you just don't know and it's just a good thing in life you know it's just if if um if you're friendly and easy to work with and, uh, you know, fun, I mean, all those things really, they will pay dividends for you as you go along. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I could tell other stories, but I don't <laughs> <laughs> well, so want you're to incriminate working... you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're working right now on reading rainbow live, right? Yes. Probably a fair amount of our listeners, myself included, like I loved reading rainbow. <laughs> so tell us about how you got into that project and what kind of work are you doing there? Um, well, I'm, we, we've had our first episode. Uh, it was filmed in New York city and I was, I, I was brought in because they were putting together the production team and, um, uh, a, a lady I knew in New York who she had helped me up, you know, producing or executive producing some other projects I've been working on. She was called in to produce this. They needed somebody to do the music. And so she recommended me. And then as I was interviewing with the producers, the fact that I had actually done things with Frog Street Press and a lot of, you know, kids oriented music. Uh, I, I produced a Looney Tunes CD uh, and uh, that that I seemed to be a good fit and also my, with my education background. So uh, that that's how I was brought in. So, again, it was not from a demo. It was mm-hmm. it was from a recommendation and an interview. Okay. And, and then I have on my website, you know, uh, markbrimer.com, you can listen to some examples of my writing, um, you know, simple resumes. So, so again, that's how people check you out. They may look at you on Facebook. You know, I'll, I'll type people in all the time on Facebook or Instagram, see what, what you can tell about them. Um, YouTube, you know, it's a great way. And, and so then I was brought into the project and it was, it, it was it's been a little crazy in terms of they were they had the date of their first episode but we were still putting together the production team the director was brought in at the last moment 
I was told to start writing things. I started writing things and then the new director is like, oh, no, I don't want that. You know, it's like, well, wait, that was assigned to me. You know, so I mean, you're you're writing, you're rewriting. Um, I, 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 you know, it was a low budget. So I had to come in uh, very affordably on, on the, the budget. And so that meant I would be recording with singers who could read in Dallas and but then I got into the studio in New York to record the on-air talent, and they said, "Oh no, these they they, they will be singing everything. Not we don't want that." And I, where did that come from? And I go, "Well, that's what you could afford, you know." But <laughs> that didn't matter because the director didn't want that. So okay, I just had to adjust my thinking immediately and say, "Okay, well we'll uh, we'll we'll make that work," you know. And um, so it, but it, it but it came out great, and people were very happy with it. We. We went through a couple of different sounds and it ended up like the acoustic bass is a key element to the accompaniment sound. It's like all, and some is MIDI, but it's all acoustic sounding instruments. You know, there was there are no real electronics in, in the backgrounds. And um, so, you know, it, it's been an exciting process. So what's happening now with them is uh, the executive producer is now raising the money. They want to now develop for a whole season. And uh, so we'll probably be down about a month or so before we can pick back up. Uh, the other neat thing, I was able to introduce them to the folks at McGraw-Hill. And so there's, they're, they're talking through a sponsorship. And that that was positive that I knew both sets of parties and I could introduce them. And so, again, it's it's relationships. And you work with this person. What about this? You know, it's you're always on, you know, uh, no matter who you're talking to. And you've got to stay aware of that, um, that because that, that you'll keep working that way. Now we kind of skipped over this question, but I do want to do I want to ask this question because I think it might be interesting. Just because we know that Dr. Weaver has been your theory teacher, has there <laughs> been something in theory that you have not found as useful as other things? Is there something? Oh. You're like, well, you know, these other things are great. I love learning about the Neapolitan Discord. I could guess no, something. I, 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 I figured base. That's what I was just going to say. He's going to say figured base. It's, it's the biggest waste of time. I mean, I, I'm sorry. But, you know, because the thing is, okay, it's a way of, it's another way of doing chord symbols. But, like, like you're going to ever use it? You, you know, I, I'd rather either learn chord symbols or learn the number system out of Nashville. I would, you know, I don't even understand that, but that would be real helpful. Uh, you know, but figured, ba I know it's just trying to get your brain to do, but, you know, who cares now? And that's... <laughs> Boy, oh, I love that. We're keeping that in I here. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to guess it. I was like, he's going <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. figured I'm base. Really We've had that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. It's, you know. And of course well, I think, just, aren't you, you having know. to realize it now in keyboard skills? Uh, we haven't. Uh, no, we haven't gotten to that yet. I, I, I guess she hadn't mentioned that. I uh, uh, now great. Now you'll mention it to her. Okay. Uh, oh, I had already mentioned it. <laughs> oh, okay, great. But uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. I, I, that's no. I, I'm. I've been. I've been getting an A in keyboard skills. I don't. Well, you can kind of figure it out. I mean, you know, it's like if you yeah. get how it think. You know, that's. I think that's where you threw me on. You know, on. I got on the board. It's like. 
I never done this, but I'll, I'll let me, I'll give it a try, you know? And so you can kind of figure it out, but it's just like, Oh gosh. <laughs> to know, my credit, really? we don't do very much of it. Um, I, I know. No, at, you don't. At DBU. You don't. So we don't even start it until theory three at DBU. And, um, after even after that, we do very little of it. I think in theory four, we did it like maybe twice because it was going to be yeah. on the cumulative, the big cumulative, like whole theory um, proficiency exam thing. It was on there. So we did well, it like once or twice. Yeah. And if things are on tests or in like if, uh, going on, get your master. I mean, there are things you, you have to you have to play the game and, you know, they want to be they want to test you on that. So you got to learn it. So mm -hmm. I get it. But <laughs> you're a good sport. Uh, yeah, I can be grumpy about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you weren't grumpy about it. You just did it. It was fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been such a treat, Mark, to chat with you and get your insight and um, all your kind of fun stories and us your really great wisdom about um, you know not just you know folks folks who want to be in the music business group, but just who want to have a career in music, you know, where mm -hmm. they are working with other people. Um, you know, the idea of the composer as this, you know, hermit who's just by themselves, you know, writing and, and no interaction with others. And, you know, it's just not real. That just doesn't no. happen, right? It's, it doesn't it's happen anymore. always this collaboration. And even if you're writing, you know, in your room, it doesn't happen like the music doesn't happen until you get it in front of other people and other people right. hear it. And, um, and so you have to be able to work with folks and, uh, and take feedback. And I love hearing about how you had to, you know, take even some negative feedback from other, uh, kind of the producer and be like, no, we want to go in here and how you're able to just pivot, you know, into something new, yeah. and not take it personally and uh, not get hung up with that. Cause that's another really um, important skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, but yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Well, thank you all for inviting me. I sure appreciate this. Do we want to do some rapid fire? We kind of said that. In the oh man, course. yeah. I have I have one actually. Okay, okay. go for it's it. So it's nothing actually nothing related to, uh, to music theory, but um, but I wanted to ask you this, Mark, because before I knew you were coming on, um, I, I was on YouTube, and well, I'll just ask you the question, then I'll uh, back, circle back to YouTube. What does it feel like to be the person responsible for countless performances of We Don't Talk About Bruno in high school choirs this spring? You know, <laughs> so, it, uh, let, it me, let, me, let me just okay, explain. Yeah. So, so I was on YouTube and the, right up the front <laughs> page suggested videos, which tells you everything you need to know about what I watch on YouTube, is the, uh, the Hal Leonard, or the yeah. YouTube video, of, and I was like, oh, I should check this out, and, and I was listening to it, and I was like, it's Mark Breimer, and then I texted mm -hmm. Jen, I'm like, Mark, Mark arranged this, so <laughs> um, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, hey, talk to the choir directors who are all going, oh no, I can't get out of this, I have to, I have to program this song because the arrangement exists for yeah, and, that and song. Yeah, I, and I, I want them to. I, I want them to. It's a great arrangement. It's really cool. It, it came out great. And, um, you know, I it, it's really fun. You know, it's really fun. And there are a lot of factors uh, that went into it. I mean, some of the challenges is that uh, Lin-Manuel wrote really almost like seven or eight melodies. And it's the same chord progression. Uh, but all and then they they counterpoint, you know, so it's a really it's the world's largest partner song that you don't realize he's <laughs> building a partner song, yeah. 
you know, but that's what he does. And but at the end, you've got to th- you think through, well, I've got two, you know, how many lines do I have and consolidate them? And, um, b- you know, because there are other factors when you're arranging for pop, uh, a teacher doesn't want to spend uh, you know, we're talking about assessment, but they don't want to spend like hour after hour on this type of song. So, you, you know, it matters how long you make it. You try to simplify it enough that you're thinking about, well, in a certain amount of uh, classes, you know, they can get this taught. Now, that's it's kind of a unique thing because like kids walk in knowing it, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. But uh, it, it, there are a lot of factors like that. But no, I'm thrilled, you know, because you never know. I mean, there's there are all these great stories about. You don't know. I mean, like the like all the songs had been passed out to the other two or three staff writers, and Bruno was not one of them. That was not picked as the hit because they got Helena got advanced copies, and so when it hit the charts, then I called in and asked for Bruno. <laughs> so uh, you know, and Mac Huff got stuck with I don't know some I don't know, Columbia. I, it was like a boring song, but you know. Well, <laughs> He was guessing. You know, you guess. I mean, like there's the classic story from the Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. It got passed off to a guy who doesn't do a lot of study arranging because everybody at Helen Leonard listened to the go, oh, I don't think I'll do anything. You, you know, and it was like, it's old, it's old, it's old. So, you, you know, you're, you're, you're always looking for that, you know, instant big hit. So I, I'm getting to enjoy that, uh, this, my moment in the sun with, uh, with, with Bruno. And, uh, you know, I added a fourth voicing, a three-part mixed, and I'm getting, you know, badgered on Facebook. Why isn't there a two-part? And my publisher won't let me, you know, so it's, it's on. But it's all good. It's all good. It gets, you know, it, I, I got the coolest response from one teacher is that they said, well, after COVID, they haven't seen their classroom this excited about singing since mm. COVID hit. And and that that would have meant so much to me because it's, it's like, oh, if this develops enthusiasm uh, for singing and being in choir, then I've done my job. You know, that's what it's really all about. And that type of song is just always in your folder next to the Mozart, next to the other pieces that will do a well-rounded program. But you need that little bit of, you know, uh, candy in there to get them sometimes there mm-hmm. and, and oh, give them yeah. that moment to sing that and enjoy it. Yeah. So I think the same year in high school that we did Brahms, How Lovely Is Thy Dwelling Place from the German Requiem, we also did like an arrangement of a bunch of songs from Les Mis. And I got to tell you, back then, I would have been hard pressed to say which one of those was my favorite. It might have been Les Mis. (laughs) Like, definitely (laughs) that got me going to choir class, you know, every day. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a strategy, but... um... But and it works, you know, mm-hmm. so that's that's uh, and it's interesting is I if I try to write too much out of that niche, you know, J.W. Pepper is not happy about it. And they don't mm-hmm. um, they uh, they don't want you know, they want to this is what sells and, you know, your name sells here. And so it's like, OK, <laughs> I could think of worse problems, you, right. you know, so it's like, yeah. yeah, your music could not sell anywhere. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of folks where. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Ooh. Any other rapid fire? What, where yeah, Ben, go? do you want to go or do you want me to go? 
Oh, I'll go. I have a very okay. targeted kind of question here, very oh. practical as well, hopefully. But I'm going to say a scenario, and I want you to respond. That okay. you have three arrangers that you've been told they're going to be your new staffers, um, but you only have one lesson to teach them. You only have one hour to teach them. So what do you teach them in that hour? I, I actually would teach them, um, we would discuss templates and finale about what the assignment was and how the parts need to look and what I'm expecting to be on the parts and, and the chart itself. Um, if there's if there's issues with tempo, I would make sure they understand how to with the tempo marking that they can develop uh, the timing of it um, because it, it will matter. We if we're let's say recording all three of their charts on one session, it needs to align. I don't want one crazy looking chart because then it throws everybody. So I think I mean I would be assuming that they they have chops and arranging uh, you know I'm not you know check okay spell a major 7 you know it's not it's not that but right. it, it it will matter how how the parts look and and the organization of the score yeah yeah no that's great that that that's... gives us more information as to what we really are needing to get at yeah, oh yeah notation is you know and I would say the other thing I'm seeing is just a shyness in teaching uh, finale, you know, and, and notation mm -hmm. software is that, come on. I mean, they've got, I mean, you've got to, to know that. And, yeah. you know, and so it's it really, I mean, it gets, it kind of gets beyond you guys. Like, you know, the school needs to be providing this and, you know, I just don't want to hear, well, Sibelius gave us a good deal or note flight, you know, gave us a good deal. And so that's what we're providing <laughs> to the students. And, you know, yeah, they that shouldn't happen. I mean, they need yeah. finale is the industry standard. Um, yes, they can. Sibelius is there too. I mean, you know, you can learn both, but but to not know finale when you get out and be able to notate and score things, um, you know, it's that's that's not good. Yeah, no, that was a big learning curve for a lot of my students when I gave them the project last semester. A lot of them had really nice handwritten versions, but it took them a while to get into the finale just because they didn't mm -hmm. have the experience. And it, that can create a barrier to success um, if you don't yeah. have that competency. So it's important. I think you bring up a really good point. I, I love your answer. Well, you know, I've hired assistants at different times. And if somebody comes to interview for me, I'll go, um, okay, go in the other – I'll set up a, like a, a chart. You know, I'll go – Okay, enter in this melody, this song, this like lead sheet, and uh, I'll give you five minutes. Go, and and they'll have to do that right there, you know. Or I can kind of see them work. You just see, you know, it's like I. And then if they can't do it, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's gonna waste my time. I'm not gonna, you know, teach it. So, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, that, makes sense. that sounds Very good. sounds cruel. No, 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 that makes <laughs> really good sense. No. Yeah. How do you communicate clearly? You have to be able to mm -hmm. notate it, right? Yeah. And yeah. and a lot of what I do gets down to minutes. Like how many minutes of music can I produce with the singers? How many minutes of music can I write in a day? How many, um, like uh, I'm set up for, because a lot of times I'll have to write a lot of things quickly. And 
I, you know, the, I have all my set templates. I, I will ask, I have my assistant like fill in the lead sheet. Um, if I'm doing a medley, we'll go in the Pro Tools and we'll cut exactly the portions of the song I want to arrange. I make sure the timing will fit. And then I'll have somebody else transcribe it into the score. Then I take it, I fill in the, uh, the piano part, the SATB. I might do the voicings, but I might hand it back over to the, uh, my assistant to fill that in. And then I have to check it, you know, but I'm working on to the next chart. and. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get through a lot of things quickly and you got to get them, you know, sent in. So there there are ways to do big projects and certainly, you know, film scoring is like that. You know, they're they're constantly, you know, they're it's a film, you know, coming out for Thanksgiving and they're recording the score in September, the first part of October, you know, yeah. and, and it's. Uh, you know, the, a lot of music cues, it's, it's done really fast and you've, you've just got to have the people that can, can deliver and deliver quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. All right. So this is my rapid fire question and I'm asking you this okay. because I know this is something you do really well. So okay. what is something you, well, you'll understand in a minute. What okay. is something that you um, have learned? It doesn't have to be like, at DBU, it could be from prior education experiences or something like that, but something that you've learned in the classroom and you've just immediately transferred it to work that you've been doing. Oh, uh, well, I mean, when we took uh, Music Theory 4, uh, there were a lot of systems, uh, you know, contemporary music systems, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, the digits, the numbers. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I found that really fascinating in terms of, so I was, I, I think you wanted us to write something, but I, I took like a set of six pitches and wrote an entire piece just using those six pitches. And, but I wanted it, uh, I, I, it was not clusters of things, you know, I, I wanted it to sound like real music. And, uh, and so, so you really couldn't necessarily notice it as it went by, but I was writing, it's a new, uh, larger work I'm working on. So I was able to immediately use, use that, uh, that, that component. And the, I'm trying to think what else I've, I mean, that would, that was really, really, really fun. Uh, there are, and then the other thing that I've really been exposed to, um, is different composers. Like I had never, I didn't really know about, uh, the minimalist, uh, mm -hmm. type of music that got exposed to me. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I bought scores and oh, like, <laughs> look, it's harmonious, you know, okay. Oh, I bought John the score. Adams. Yeah. Yeah. John Adams. <laughs> yeah. Piece. So, so it's like, yeah. So like, and so I'm using my transcribing skills, like, oh, what is that there? And I listen to it and then I, I'm utilizing that. And another section of this, uh, this larger work, um, is, so I, I'm finding it all across the board. I'm, uh, that's what's kind of fun going back to college at you know my age is that I'm able to utilize everything so so quickly. You know that um, it, it just makes it very real and 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 it's it's important for kids to realize it's like this is not stuff you learn and to be forgotten. You are going to use this, and, and you can. I mean, it's just you can like right now. You can do this in your assignments and, you know, use it, try it out. I mean, this is a safe environment to try things out, but use mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. No, that's great. I wish, I wish we all had 
Mark Brimer's in our classroom, Jen. <laughs> it is pretty fun. Yes. It's a it blessing, it's a fun. curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. All right. Well, as we wrap up, maybe just uh, let our listeners know, I think you mentioned your website, but you can mention again, maybe how folks could reach out to you uh, to learn more about what you're up to, um, uh, to find your music and um, any other projects you're working on. You mentioned the, the Reading Rainbow Live, but anything else you've got cooking? Well, um, you know, reaching me, uh, I have a lot of different websites, but markbrimer.com and I'm Mark at markbrimer.com is the easiest way to you know find my email and reach me that way uh, i'm on facebook i'm i i try to be as uh open to answering questions or interacting with people i mean because it's 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 fun and it's 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 a it's a good approach you know um it, it's fun to connect with teachers a lot because uh the first thing they might do you know i'll say hey say hello to your kids for me and you know it makes a connection and then the kids think oh you know him it's like yeah yeah you know but it's just like it's just like i i'm trying i work for teachers and i work for choral directors and to get that uh as for working i i'm trying to now develop a a larger work about an 80 to 90 minute work called the kings of oil that i've hired a librettist but i i'm thinking um something that's it's it's a mixed media kind of choral opera so it, it will have a choir it will have actors it will have um a multimedia component um and so choir and then a chamber orchestra and it's going to tell the story of really from the 1920s of some of the major oil men in texas and oklahoma uh through music so uh so it it's it could be performed by a professional choir or more like a contemporary opera company is what we're we're aiming yeah. for and I have hired uh, an executive producer who's helping me get grants. And um, I'm, you know, like, for instance, okay, so Reading Rainbow, uh, I, I had to hire a, a studio in, in New York. So I found this one that was close to it because Doug Besterman, who I follow on Instagram, who's with the orchestrator for Thoroughly the Modern Millie, and he's just excellent. He has a little office there. So I called them up. And I could get in, and it was like in the near the theater district. Well, it ends up um, the gentleman who owns it had uh, engineered all the uh, the John uh, the, the the Steve Reich uh, recordings, like uh, music for eighteen musicians, and he was their audio engineer and had done some things for John Adams. And so it's like, hmm. well, how cool! I'm just right. <laughs> I'm trying to learn about this, and so you know, I kind of made that that connection and. Um, and talk to him about that a little bit. And I'm hoping with my this other work, it's like, hey, can you help me? I'm maybe finding a, uh, a semi-professional group in New York City to, to perform it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm going after some big things and we'll see. We'll see. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. We'll be back with more interviews with professors and teachers who will be dropping all sorts of theory knowledge for your education, edification, and enjoyment. So until then, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>